0: Hey folks, this is Matt Dixon with the Purple Patch Podcast. And yes, today we talk about strength training and its role in endurance sports. I would say a most polarizing subject with some coaches urging to cast it aside as a distraction while others place it central in the performance puzzle. As a time staffed athlete fighting for every training opportunity within a big life, which is it? Let it be a casualty of competing priorities or make time within your busy schedule? Well, Let's explore today. But before we do, let's give away some free stuff. Yes, guys, it's Wildflower time, and we are going to give away free stuff. In fact, all you have to do is to register and win some fantastic prize packages from Purple Patch, yes, that's us, Roka and Picky Bars. We'll announce the winner after May 7th, but we've teamed up and we want to celebrate Jesse's return to Wildflower, where he's trying to win for the seventh time in his career. We've been with him every step of the way, and these prizes are worth over $2,000. This is your last chance. So all you have to do is to go to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash wildflower giveaway. Go there, register, and you can win prizes. It includes a top-of-the-range Roka wetsuit, some Roka sunglasses, a bevy of beauties from Picky Bars, and even a little bit of coaching consultation from me. Yep, moi. And so it's a fantastic series of prizes. Get involved, register, and we'll get crack on. But now, let's hear that jingle. We like the way he thinks, serious with a way. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary Word of the Week. Yes, the word of the week this week is wind. No, not the wind stemming from the overconsumption of beans, but a word for cyclists this week. I want to give you a few tips on riding into the wind, and, what most of us prefer, the wind at your back. In today's over-obsession with metrics, there are a few facts and tips that you should try and deploy when realizing that you're faced with one of nature's challenges. I hope the headline news on riding with the wind will help. And for you metric hags in the audience, I'll even give you a little bit of love. I'm going to include some metrics in this. So let's take a case study. Imagine that you want to average 250 watts for a ride or a race or a stretch of road. Now imagine that you're going down a road and we'll have it as a flat road. And for 10 miles, you have a fantastic tailwind pushing you along. And then you turn and you ride back into a block headwind, 10 miles into a headwind. How should you ride this? One power, that'll be 250 watts, yeah? One cadence, is that right? Absolutely not. Let's go through with a tailwind and as the tailwind gets stronger and stronger, it becomes incrementally tougher to maintain power. And in fact, it's a terrible return on investment to add more and more power when when you've got the wind at your back, you're only going to gain incremental speed. In fact, if you try to ride 250 watts with the tailwind at your back, that's your average power you're looking to hold, there's a very good chance that you're going to blow up because you're going to be chasing and chasing and chasing with ever-decreasing inefficiency as you've got the wind at your back. Instead, bring the speed up, find flow, focus on riding well. Yes, you can still roll a big gear, because you're being pushed but do so with nice fluffy pedaling and naturally your cadence will drift a little bit higher than your normal and most efficient range but most importantly don't expect to meet your goal power and don't worry about trying to it's not a good return on your investment but now we turn the corner you're into a headwind what do you need to do in that situation Well, it's a good return on investment to have more tension on the chain, to push a bigger gear. And with that, you should expect a lower cadence on your range of suitability. It is a good return on investment to have a slightly higher power. You want to retain tension on the chain with a sustained small frontal area as possible. In our mythical case study, I would envision in this case that you would have 10, 20, 30 watts higher with a good speed return. What you want to avoid into a headwind is spinny-spin high RPM in the pursuit of trying to save the legs, as many athletes will say. That's one sure route of riding like you're bolted to the ground and shedding speed potential, just in the same way as always trying to default to spinny-spin up most grades that you're going to navigate in racing. But in both cases, whether you're going with the wind and you're gonna see slightly higher cadence and you're not gonna be chasing as much power or into the wind where you're gonna be pushing a little bit more power and with a little bit of a lower cadence, you still want to seek variance, even if it's small. You want to look for opportunities to vary and you must dispel the myth of riding one cadence and one power to find your best speed. The body likes variance. With that, Embrace end-of-range training. High, high cadence to develop neurological conditioning and greater pedal stroke efficiency well above your typical race RPM. And very low cadence to ready for the strength endurance needed on the climbs and the headwinds. We go higher and lower than race-specific training cadences, but just think how nice and smooth and efficient those RPM ranges in a race actually feel so. And so a mini tutorial this week and the word of the week it is your friend the wind now let's get on with the meat and potatoes yes this week it's all about strength functional strength strength and conditioning within the scope of endurance activity so we're not talking about crossfit here we're not talking about gold's gym it's the role of strength and conditioning as applied to an endurance athlete or endurance enthusiast and it is a polarizing subject one would say there is evangelism on both sides of the argument you have endurance coaches and athletes who see zero value in integrated strength And yet, there are CrossFit coaches who poo-poo all-endurance activity. I believe that they go hand-in-hand in performance. And today, we're going to tell you a story about a real Purple Patch athlete and then explain the why behind my positioning on strength and conditioning. So before we dive into the nitty gritty and we start talking about the why and I start unpeeling some of the components and values of strength training, I want to tell you a story and I want to go back about four years and I want to talk about a purple patch athlete that is still with us. Her name's Jenny and at the time that this story begins, she's about 46 years of age. She's a long time endurance athlete, accomplished quite often on the podium and one would say a highly developed cardiovascular system. She'd been doing the sport for more than 15 years, but she's 46 and she's plateaued. And with that plateau, confidence had eroded, both in her performance, as well as I would say in herself. And the truth behind that is, yes, she self-identified as a triathlete. She enjoyed the journey. She had a love of the sport, but her identification was wrapped up in that sport. And so this was not a good place to be. The question, am I finally aging? Should I just expect to slow down? Her approach to try and remedy this was just to pour more and more and more endurance training into the mix. Try and get fitter and fitter and fitter. I need to work on the run. Maybe if I do some big triple day riding adventures, I can build up resilience. I can build up robustness. I am going to be aging. She even went to the lab and got a test. They sent her through a very pretty ramping protocol and spiffed out some wonderful results. This was her chance to get specificity. Here are your magical training zones. Here we can look at your blood chemistry and see what's going on. The prescription, keep building the base. Make sure that you keep the power between 140 and 160 watts and build that platform of fitness over the winter months, keeping your heart rate under 140. Really? Only one thing was going to happen to Jenny if she followed this advice. She would keep working on fitness as she went through the coming systems, and yes, she would stay fit. But she would get slower and slower and slower as she failed to develop resilience, strength, and end-of-range capabilities. In fact, subtly, Without even realizing it, she would begin to choose one lighter gear when she was going up hills and then another, leaning into the only thing that she worked on, cardiovascular fitness. It is a direct route to slowness. But of course, she was set to blame it on the age. In fact, if I looked at Jenny at the time when she came on board, I would label her as the classic noodle-like triathlete. Now, I might get hit around the head with a frying pan for saying that, But I think now Jenny would look back and probably agree. You see, the thing is, fitness was not the limiter. How much more fit could she get? She'd been doing this sport for 15 years. And the truth was, she had no tools. She rode at one cadence, one power, one heart rate. And in fact, even when she hopped off the bike and she stood there, she stood there as many triathletes do, hunched shoulders, poor posture, in fact, not really looking athletic. If I was being really harsh, she was one that would surprise people how far she would go because yes, she was tough, she was resilient and she had great fitness, but she didn't quote, look like an athlete. I felt like there had to be a radical shift and I'm gonna tell this story through the lens of the strength intervention. My ask of Jenny was a full and complete strength program. She had to adopt and embrace strength and conditioning as a part of her endurance training program. I also asked her to reduce her total training hours, but support the strength training with a radical shift in the key sessions of endurance each week. I asked her to do some very, very strong end of range training. That's very low cadence on the bike, very high cadence on the bike, strength-based running and downhill running. I asked her to do more intensity during the week. And yes, while maintaining some longer mileage, I wanted to integrate that with real care and not every single week. What she was really asked, and this is the most important, was to embrace strength, but link it with strength, endurance, and intensity in the endurance program. Well, what happened when she did this? Well, first, she kicked and screamed, I need more mileage, I need more mileage. But slowly, over time, she started to embrace the new stimulus. She started to enjoy the polarization of the training. The hard days were very strong, but they were fresh. They were interesting, and they were different and she felt like she needed the easy days. Slowly, she began to care less and less about weekly mileage and weekly hours. What happened to her races? Well, over the next 18 to 24 months, she evolved to a whole new level. She didn't retain performance, she got better. So was it just the strength training? Was that the magic elixir? No, but it had a critical role but not just in the way that you might think. It wasn't just about a prevention of injury. In fact, I think the heart of it was it came down to confidence. Confidence, yes, confidence. It was a new stimulus and challenge that showed her improvement. And when we improve, we smile. It also helped with her posture. She started to go through a total body program with lateral stimulus and strengthening, stabilization, mobility, and all of that, including on the platform of strength, started to see her stand taller, stand prouder. And guess what? People noticed. Now, it's not about vanity. And while she lost no weight, she kept getting asked if she had. But in truth, it was just the posture. Yes, she improved some body composition. No, she didn't pack on muscles. She just looked and felt better. And that improved feeling came hand in hand with control over her body and control over her movements. At the very core of it, we are designed to move heavy things. And we are designed to be athletic. Jenny was becoming athletic. If we then partner that with her endurance training, she developed variance and a broad range in training, and this created a critical stimulus. It opened up new tools. It allowed her to have lower cadence on the climbs if she was in cardiovascular stress, and I could go on and on and on. There was a natural gateway to establishing key sessions in the week and a focus of hitting them. It was no longer a chase for mileage. It was a chase for output. And yes, Jenny improved. She's gone on to continue to improve and is now faster at 49 than she was at 39. But more than that, she got the knock-on effect because for me, ultimately, it's not just about seeing Jenny get faster. Yes, that was important. But what I saw is a more athletic person who was healthier And while her lens was triathlon, this was a critical non-negotiable time for her to begin strength training. As she glided towards menopause and it was just set to have a massive loss of bone density following that time, it was critical that we could prevent or somewhat reverse that bone loss through strength training. And so for her and you, as an endurance athlete and enthusiast. It's not the route to improvement, but instead it's a critical performance partner. So, Jenny is one example of success, but let's dive into the why. In order to do so, I think I need to first frame my position on strength, and this is really important. I view strength as just one piece of the performance puzzle for your overall training approach. So we of course have endurance training, And we know from previous discussions that needs to be consistent, specific, and progressive. That endurance training needs to be supported with really good nutrition habits. And we now know from previous discussions as well, that's your nutrition, fueling, and hydration. All of that needs to be supported with adequate and effective recovery. And yes, that includes sleep. All of those topics, you can go back and listen to previous podcasts and play a little bit of catch-up. But they all require integrated functional strength. So today, we're going to remove the discussion of recovery and nutrition. But let's keep in mind as we go through the chat that they're there and they cannot be ignored. So... Functional strength is the performance partner to all of the endurance training you do. It has a hand in avoiding injury. It's a bridge between mobility, balance, synchronization and strength and the sport specific endurance training that you're going to do. If you are a triathlete, that's swimming, cycling and running. If you're just a runner, of course, it's just running, just a cyclist. You know the story. It is also a platform to maximize the hard work of that training. And so it is a performance accelerator. And so with that in mind, I think it's really important you don't view strength and conditioning as avoiding a negative. In other words, I don't want you to think of it as, oh, I must do it to avoid injury. Instead, treat it as a performance accelerator. So I'm going to do something a little bit different this week. Before we dive into the value of strength, before I talk about the design of strength, I'm actually going to give you the headline news. This is the stuff that you should remember. So before I've even sold you on it too much, I'm going to tell you, leave with these bullet points. So here we go. Fasten the seatbelt, get your pen and paper out. Number one. It doesn't need to dominate the training schedule to be effective. After all, you're probably time-staffed. And who has time or ability to go to the gym 60 to 90 minutes three times weekly? That would not be a good return on your investment. And so it doesn't need to dominate the training schedule. That's number one. Number two, it needs to be integrated and it needs to be year-round. The purpose, role and personality of the program might evolve, but it cannot be just an off-season endeavor. You must embrace it year-round. Number three. It must be about building an athlete, not just about building an endurance athlete. We must go well beyond picking sport-specific movement patterns and trying to mimic those patterns. In fact, you've got sport-specific movement patterns you do every day, and that's the sport-specific endurance training. Number four, just because you do strength, doesn't mean you would directly add power or pace and doesn't promise injury avoidance. The puzzle is broader than this. And number five, related to this, it's really important that you, the athlete, joins the dots between what you're doing in the gym or the strength work you're doing at home and what you're doing in sports-specific training. You cannot allow it to live in a vacuum and then be forgotten when you're riding up a hill or getting fatigued in running. Okay, so you have the headline news. So now, keep listening. We've got to go back. I want to explain the why. You'll only buy off on this if you truly understand the why. Why should we have integrated strength if you're an endurance athlete? Notice that word, integrated. We'll come back to that. Well, a functional strength program is not simply about heading off to the gym to lift heavy weights joining a Pilates class once or twice a week or doing hundreds of crunches just to get a strong abdomen. In fact, a proper program should target a combination of mobility, stability and strength to improve the movements necessary for sport-specific performance gains. The benefits of a properly designed functional strength program can unlock your potential to improve as an athlete. Now they'll include four main things. Number one, increased movement synchronization and coordination. Number two, a development platform for biomechanics and improved form. Number three, and this is a good one, improved athleticism. Now, I didn't say endurance athleticism, improved athleticism. And finally, an enhanced injury prevention. That list should wow you. Improvement in these four areas will have a dramatic impact on your performance as an endurance athlete, but if it's a little too abstract or a little too technical, let me break it down into some different terms. So firstly, a properly integrated strength and conditioning program should improve your muscle recruitment through the entire range of movement. All of your muscles working together in balance. So instead of stronger muscles compensating for weaker ones, you have synchronized movement with maximal strength potential. You'll also gain a greater ability to generate a given power output for less effort. It's going to facilitate you to actually move more efficiently in swimming, cycling, running, or whatever your endurance sport is. So there's an increase in economy, and it's gonna facilitate you to improve or increase your power production threshold. Ultimately though, staying healthy unlocks the holy grail of endurance sports, being able to train consistently over many months without having time to take off for injury. Well, you really have two paths to choose. You have the time-starved path and you have the time-rich path. Most of the folks I work with, mm, time-starved. The pros, and some very lucky few, time-rich. Well, if you are time-rich, you can go about a complete program that is fully integrated and maybe takes a little more time. And it can progress and evolve over multiple sessions weekly over the course of an entire season but time-starved you can't waste endurance time with time-sucking strength most of the focus has to be on the big boulders of movement you can't focus on the granular part so we try and design a program for the time-starved athlete that is focused on those boulders and not the sand but still it must be progressive, specific, and still target mobility, strength, synchronization, and of course, a little bit of explosive nature. So if you're a time-rich athlete, if you're a pro or an elite athlete, or have to have loads of time, I would break the season down into three main parts the first movement patterns a lot of smaller movements really dialing down the finer details of becoming more synchronized and once you have those small finer movements down we would progress to a second phase that's focused on some grander movements or more compound movements and we would really dial in strength now this is the time of the year that you actually have to be a little careful with endurance training because we are placing load we are doing strength in the a classic sense of the word and so load is up there but ultimately just by piling on that strength isn't a great way to go into our key races so we will then progress and try and carry that strength and those improved movement patterns into the race specific phase and that's where we'll get a little bit more explosive a little more power focused and then shift our lens to become more therapeutic so that we can support the rigors of the endurance race-specific load. And ultimately, we want to retain the gains that we've made over the last few months. Well, the chances are you're time-starved, and the truth is you probably just don't have time or capacity to actually integrate a complete strength program like mentioned above. It also may not be or likely isn't the best use of your time if you've only got eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours to train a week. So let me give you some insight into how we go about it at Purple Patch with our time-starved athletes. Well, we realize in the world, that we just simply cannot get too granular. People just don't have time or capacity. And so we don't focus on the stand, we focus on the boulders. And we managed to establish seven main families of movements. And we would identify these as the absolute building blocks of human movement. And therefore, all endurance athletes should aspire to become competent in each movement. These seven families each have three exercise patterns, ranging from easier to advanced. So we need to go through and be able to execute the easier, the intermediate, and the advanced exercise as we go through the year. Now this is a clear case when we ask athletes to adopt this approach. It's very clear that quicker advancement is not better. In fact, on average, it takes one of my professional athletes about 18 months to two years before they're truly able to do all of the movement patterns established at an advanced level. Consider that seven main families of exercise and your typical highly functioning professional athlete would take at least a year to progress through to expert. That should give you a framework to consider when you think about your evolution through the program. The truth is, if you can't do an exercise 100% correctly, you're not ready to progress and move on to the next one. For the sake of this podcast, it's impossible to me to transfer over the audio what these movement patterns are. So I'd encourage you to go to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash free resources at the end of the show, and we're going to give you a little bit of a guide into what we're talking about here. But Let me go through the exercise patterns for you. For you current strength junkies, you probably know what I'm gonna talk about. For the rest of you guys, it's gonna sound like Russian. Here are the seven family of movement patterns that we go through. Number one, single leg squat progressions. Number two, anti-extension progressions. Number three, push-up progressions. Number four, split squat progressions. That word progression is always there, isn't it? Number five, hurdle step progressions number six rotary stability progressions and finally deadlift progressions those are the seven families that we go through probably sounds like Russian to you don't worry head to the website go to free resources you can get more information there we'll give you a little bit of an idea of some of the exercises within each family so you can start to get a gauge so how often do you need to do this and how much time does it need to take up Well, typically, I talk think about it in terms of a couple of times a week and not very long, 15 to 30 minutes at most. In fact, I want you to be able to do most of these exercises with minimal equipment in the home, in the office, or in the hotel room. If you get to go to the gym, it's wonderful. But most of the time, you can do it in the house. The key is when you're doing it, you always want to keep a lens on how does this relate to my endurance activity. You see, the thing is, I want to get the brain talking to the sports-specific muscles, but then when you go out, you need to leave the gym, leave your home, hotel room, wherever you've been doing the strength, and apply it in your endurance, sport specific training. When you're running, bound up hills, jump up some steps, leap off with some posterior activation. When you're swimming, embrace the paddle work, keep up the extra surface area, and drive the arm back with each stroke. In riding, strength, endurance, lower cadence work, progressively building intervals to a very hard effort, all at low cadence. They should work together in unison. And so, yes, it should be obvious that just because you embrace strength training, it doesn't make you a better endurance athlete. You have to do the specific and very real hard work in the discipline of your sport to improve. Instead, I invite you to view it as a critical, integrated partner in your journey. And as mentioned prior, you want to see it as a performance accelerator. And so, yes, the story of Jenny should inspire you. And yes, I started the podcast with the saying, strong like bull. The truth is, if you want to ride your bike like you're wrestling a pig, or you want to run like you're a donkey dipped in cement, ignore postural habits and ignore strength. But if you're serious, about performance gains. It is a part of your journey that cannot be ignored, no matter how time staffed you are. I hope that helps. Take care, and we'll see you at the next conversation. Cheers. Okay, gang, two more things before I take off. We've got some great conversations coming up in the coming weeks, but before we head off and we wait for next week with great impatience, a couple of things to go through. The first, If you want to see some examples or explanations of the seven exercise families that we go through and then head to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash free resources and grab the outline packet. We're going to go through strength and it should be helpful in support of this podcast. Also, I want to remind you of our special giveaway. It is fantastic. And the race is this week, this is your last chance to enter. We're going to announce the winners on May 7th. And it literally, I like saying this, thousands of dollars of prizes. What more can we ask for? All in the name of Jesse Thomas and the Wildflower Experience. Thank you so much to Roka. Thank you to Piggy Bars. And of course, we were happy to put some tin in the bin as well. Get to Purple Patch Fitness, Wildflower Giveaway, register. The more times you do it, the better chances you have got for prizes. But until next time, Matt Dixon signing off. See you later.